0: Good morning, and welcome to this time of worship at Houghton Wesleyan Church. Please stand and join me for the call to worship. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's his grace to confidence, so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold and spirit the, the hope we profess,
1: for he who promised
0: is faithful. Hallelujah. O oh Lord, we come here today seeking your presence. You are the giver of all good things. And we ask now that you prepare our hearts and minds for what you have to give us this morning. And in return, we worship you. Amen.
2: Before you're seated, share a word of peace, or sort of greeting with others who are here in worship today. The song that keeps coming to my mind over these last few hours is Baby, It's Cold Outside. I don't know if you thought that yourself, but it is in my head. Uh, and it is, right? Um, because of the, the cold and the, the wind chills are supposed to be in the minus 30s and 40s uh, throughout tonight as it gets darker, we are going to cancel the, uh, the prayer group. The small group that meets here at the church will not be meeting tonight. The youth group will not be meeting tonight. As far as other groups that meet in homes, we'll let you all make those decisions on your own. And you may want to just connect with each other uh, if you have questions about that. But uh, just please note that uh, those, the uh, church group and the youth group will not be meeting this evening. Uh, we, um, also, you'll notice in the bulletin that uh, we have some special things planned for the season of Lent. Uh, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday and the beginning of Lent. And we will host a service here at 630 we would love to have you be a part of that, even if it's, if it's not a, a part of your, uh, your tradition or your experience. It is a, it's a powerful service uh, to uh, of silence, of contemplation, of just thinking about the passion of Christ as we prepare to move into the season of Lent. And so we hope you'll join us here at 6.30 on Wednesday evening. Also then, during the, on the Thursdays of Lent, we will be uh, hosting 24 Hours of Prayer. Each Thursday beginning at 6 o'clock Thursday morning and going through 6 o'clock Friday morning. And uh, we encourage you to uh, sign up for an hour to be in the prayer room. You can sign up online or call the church office and we will help you get signed up for that. And we will be doing that through the Thursdays of Lent. In addition to those individual times uh, uh, in the prayer room, we are also uh, gathering for corporate times of prayer at noon, 6 p.m. and 10 p.m. And uh, we, we would love to have you be a part of one of those gatherings. Uh, we will be meeting down in the basement here, and the, the, the uh, corporate prayer times will encompass two elements. We'll take communion together, and we will pray together. Uh, if some of you have been around uh, on Good Friday the last few years, we've done a journey to the cross in the community room. We're not doing that this year, but we are incorporating elements of that journey, those destinations, into the weekly prayer gatherings. So that we are sort of moving chronologically through the last hours of Jesus' life, beginning with Judas betraying Jesus and moving each week until we end up at uh, Jesus being laid in the tomb. And so we'd love to have you be a part of that. I think you, uh, you could pick one of those times and, uh, and uh, attend a, one of the groups and we'll pray together, take communion together. I think you'll get the most out of these, this if you're able to come at least the majority of the weeks and you sort of sense the progression of moving closer to the cross. So we hope you will uh, be a part of that. And if you have questions about it, let you uh, talk to any the pastors or you can call us in the office and we'll like, give you more information. But we hope you'll be a, be a part of that gathering. Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Holy and merciful God, in your presence we confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. You alone know how often we have sinned in wandering from your ways, in wasting your gifts in forgetting your love. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Forgive our sins and help us to live in your light and walk in your ways for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
0: Our Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah, chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a winepress as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join me in the singing of the doxology as the ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. Lord, you love to bless us in so many ways, knowing that we are unworthy of all that you provide us with. Today we joyfully give back to you and pray that you would do more with it than we could dream or imagine. Amen.
2: The Lord invites us to come together and to offer our prayers. As we offer our prayers this morning, if you would like to use the altar rail, it's the place where you come and pray, offer your prayers to God. Please join me. Father, we have come today from a week of ups and downs, circumstances that we call good, circumstances we call bad, joys and disappointments of things we have anticipated, things we've dreaded. And the one constant is that you have been present in every moment giving us strength, invigorating our minds, our souls, our hearts, every part of our being. And we thank you. And we come to this moment of prayer with gratitude in our hearts for who you are and for all that you have done. Father, we come today recognizing so many needs in our lives. For some of us, the need need is relational. Relationship is not what it should be, what we wish it would be. We pray for restoration in each of them and the courage to be the first to take responsibility, to seek forgiveness. For some of us, the, the needs are our material. We are struggling to to know how we are going to uh, pay a bill, stay afloat. We pray that you would give us the ability to trust you, and to see ways in which we are be a, we would be a part of answering our own prayers through your Spirit, Father. For some of us, there is just great pain that we are feeling, sensing pain of grief and loss that comes in various forms, and the pain of physical difficulties. We think especially today of Beulah Avery and Jill Tyson. We pray for Priscilla Waltz, Vesta Mullen, Tim Nichols, Bruce Brenneman, Bill Roski, Bevret, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Isla Shea, Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Crickler, and others who are on our minds and hearts today. And we pray for your healing grace on each one. Father, we also pray for our world. It's hard for us to understand sometimes why there is so much violence and war in our world. Father, we do not know how to stop it. We don't really know how to lessen it. We place this world in your hands. We pray for peace in the midst of violence. We pray for order in the midst of chaos. We pray for your grace to to be evident and your spirit to be evident in every corner of this world. We think of our brothers and sisters who live and worship in difficult circumstances with threats and persecution and opposition. We ask that you would give them courage and strength and help them to know our prayers and support, and more than anything, reveal yourself to them and your presence with them. When we think of your church around the world, and especially today, we we think of the work in Sierra Leone and the Czech Republic, as pastors and leaders are being trained and as churches are being planted in these two very different countries, we pray that your spirit will be evident in every moment that you will be lifted high so that people will see you and come to you and find the transforming grace of Jesus. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Be glorified as we continue in worship, as we offer our words, our thoughts, our actions, every part of our being to you giving thanks that you hear our prayers and offering our prayers through Christ who teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
0: Our New Testament reading is found in the book of John, chapter 15, verses 1 through 17.
2: Please be seated. I was reading recently about uh, a gentleman who, when he's done with a conversation with someone, he grasps their hand to shake it, looks them squarely in the eye and says, whatever you do, don't miss the joy. Whatever you do, don't miss the joy. I've been thinking about that in relation to what Jesus says in this passage. I get the sense that when I read John 15, that Jesus is saying God's desire for you, for me, for every person, is joy. His desire for us is joy. That we would live with this deep down, whatever circumstances might be happening, kind of joy. That it doesn't matter whether life is going the way we want it or not, there is this underlying sense of joy. Whether life is going well or not, there is this underlying sense of joy. Jesus says that, I mean, if that is true, if God's desire for all of us is joy, Jesus says that the only source of that joy is him. He begins this section of John 15, which takes place in the the last hours before his arrest and crucifixion. He begins by saying, I am the vine. Verse 5, he says, I am the true vine. This idea of the vine is something that resonates with the Jewish people because Throughout the Old Testament in a variety of places, God has said to them, you are my vine. The passage in Isaiah, we just read, talks about, God says, you're my vine. And in this passage, they aren't, they aren't the vine that he wants. And so there are consequences of that. But there still is vine. Psalm 80 talks about it. Jeremiah 2, the book of Ezekiel, over a whole variety of places where God says to the Israelites, you are my vine. And now Jesus says, I am the vine. Now this, you know, again, he comes back to this, using this language, I am, echoing me in, in Greek. It takes you back to John chapter 8 where they're having this, this discussion with the religious leaders about whose father is whose. And Jesus says to them, before Abraham was, I am. And they pick up stones to stone him to death because they realize in that phrase he's saying, he's taking them all the way back to Moses, the burning bush, where he says to God, okay, I'll go to Egypt, but who do I tell them sent me? And, G- and God says, you tell them, I am sent you. And it becomes the holy personal name of God. And now Jesus says, I am the vine, the true vine. The fact that he says, I'm the true vine, the real vine, implies that there are false vines. That there are other people, other ideas, other ideologies that propose to say, we are the way to God. And Jesus wants to set the record straight. It's him, him alone, no one else, nothing else. He is it. And any other path, any other vine that proclaims to be the way to God and his joy is a false vine. When I was in college, I took a class in basic Christian beliefs. And in this class, we, we spent our time studying just a few chapters of the scriptures. We studied Isaiah 53, talked about the suffering servant and the, the prophecy about the Jesus' cross. We studied the, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We studied John 14, 15, and 16. We studied Romans 8, and we studied 1 Corinthians 15. We spent all our time, the whole semester, studying just those passages. A part of our, uh, of, the, of the class requirement was to memorize three of those chapters. And uh, at various points in the semester, we had exams. Part of the exam was writing down verbatim those chapters that we had memorized. When we got to the final, it was really pretty simple. Everybody was given an article out of a publication. And we had no idea who wrote it or what publication it came from. And the assignment was, for the final, was this. Without looking at your Bible without looking at any of your notes, just just thinking back, based on those passages we studied, is this article Orthodox or heresy? I can still remember sitting in the library, pouring over this article. You know, again, no idea who wrote it, where it came from. Trying to figure out Orthodox or heresy. And the first third of it, I thought, this sounds pretty good. It's talking about Jesus and the gospel and all of that. And then it took just a subtle turn. And I began to realize that what the author was saying is that Jesus brought the gospel. But the scriptures teach us that Jesus is the gospel. Jesus didn't just bring the message of salvation. Jesus is salvation. It's not in his... The point is not to, to try to do what Jesus says... The point is to engage our lives with Jesus. And here in this passage, Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I'm not just telling you about the vine. I am the vine. And the only means to the Father and the joy that the Father has for us is through him. And his calling on us is to be connected to him he says i am the true vine and those who remain in me experience all that i want to give you to remain in him is our calling that word has it's interpreted a lot of a lot of synonyms used to translate that word throughout the scriptures it, comes down to remaining, staying, staying put, holding your ground. It has an enduring quality to it. It's used, for instance, by Jesus in Matthew 26. When he comes to the garden with the disciples and he says to, to them, you stay here, you remain here while I go pray. You stay here as opposed to running off somewhere else. Hold your ground here in acts twenty seven paul 's on the ship uh, as a prisoner being going to rome and and uh, they run into this huge storm and uh, he says to the captain, "Tell the soldiers to stay on the boat. It may seem counterintuitive because this thing is breaking up, but stay with the boat that 's the only way to be rescued. Remain with it and Second Timothy two verse thirteen, Paul says to his son in the faith, even when we are faithless, God remains, stays faithful. And in John six twenty seven, Jesus says Don't work for food that is going to disappear, work for food that remains to eternity. There is this connectedness that's not on and off. It's not a connectedness that, you know, sort of like a plug and outlet where we can pull it out, put it in, pull it out when we need it. It is, there's a constancy to it. There is a There is an eternal nature to it. And Jesus says, remain in me. Stay with me. Stay connected to me. I'm the vine. You're the branches if you stay connected to me. So I've been thinking about what does it mean to remain? I mean, that's sort of a, you know, it's a little hard to pin down. What exactly does that mean? And Jesus says, if you remain in me, that means you keep my commandments. Now, the minute we hear keeping my commandments, what's the first thing that comes to our mind? We start thinking about rules, laws, regulations, you know, formulas, checklists. And that's exactly how many people in first century Palestine and before that understand what it means to be a follower of God. You follow the rules. And if you follow the rules, then you're good. But you read the prophets, even Isaiah, like we read this morning, they're following all the rules, but they're condemned. Because they don't care for the poor, because they don't care about justice, because their hearts aren't really in it. They're just going through the motions. And if we equate remaining with Jesus as following rules, two things tend to happen. We tend to think it's just as long as we follow the rules, then whether our hearts are in it or not doesn't really matter. more often than not it leads to legalism where we worship the rules instead of Christ that they're directing us toward when you read the gospels every time someone comes to Jesus and talks to him about a rule he looks at them as though yeah and your point is what it's almost as if he's saying i don't do rules it's too confining because all you're thinking about is the box. As long as, as we can form, make, create a formula, then we're good. As long as we've got a checklist, then we're okay. And Jesus keeps shattering the boxes and the checklists. He keeps doing what they don't want him to do. It's not about rules. He says here, you keep my commands. And what does he then say? Here's my command. I'll wrap all the commands up into one. Love. He tells them, the disciples in Matthew 22, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, love others. To follow the commands is to love. It is to have hearts that are open to the love of God so that the love of God flows through us. It's always about love makes us nervous about love is that it's pretty hard to put love in a box though we try as much as we can right and we're asking ourselves am i loving too much what if they misinterpret my love love is risky what if we love the wrong people what if we love in the wrong way We're always trying to quantify our love. And subsequently, we quantify things like forgiveness and grace and mercy and justice. We're always trying to quantify it. And we look at Jesus, and Jesus is continually accused of loving the wrong people, right? And he keeps loving them anyway. And Jesus is continually accused of loving in the wrong ways, the unacceptable ways. And he just keeps loving in those ways anyway. And Jesus keeps risking all the way to the cross. I don't get the feeling at all that Jesus is worried that people might misunderstand his love or that they might take advantage of his love or that his love is is too much or he risks too much. He just keeps loving. And you and I are asking these questions. What if we love too much? What if we love the wrong people? What if they misinterpret our love? And what if, so, so we can put it this way. If we, get, if we compare our love to Jesus' love and we come to the conclusion that we love more than Jesus does, then we have the right to pull back the reins a little bit. I have a feeling we're all pretty safe. What if God operated asking those questions? What if God said about us, I want to be careful that I don't love them too much. I want to be careful that they don't misunderstand my love or take advantage of my love. Here's the truth. We do that all the time. And he keeps loving us anyway. And we misinterpret and we misunderstand and we use his love and we take advantage of his love all the time but the point is not that he's going to change his love. He is just love. That's who he is. And he just loves. You know, this, I talked about the Lenten times that, that we're going to be setting aside on Thursdays. And in these prayer times, as we were planning to meet, we were trying to decide. We want to do communion and prayer, corporate prayer time. And we were batting around. Which do we do First? Because typically in our worship services, we commune is the last thing, is sort of the apex of the service, and that's all, that's usually appropriate. But we were thinking about following sort of the chronological idea of Jesus and his disciples in the upper room, and then making their way into the garden to pray. And so we were thinking along those terms. But it was a little bit, you know, we were trying to process that, and then we we decided that's what we were going to do, that we'll start with communion and then move to prayer because we began to ponder that the communion would not be so much a response to something we've learned, but rather just simply a means of, of experiencing and, and taking in God's love for us. And, and once we've sort of thought about the love of God for us and, and the power of God's love in our lives, then we become people who pray in the context of God's love, his unconditional love, that kind of love that says, you just bring to me all the stuff of your life and let me have it. And thinking of it in those terms, because that's what God does for us continually. Continually. I think one of the reasons we struggle with the love of God and the idea that God really does desire joy for us is is this whole thing that Jesus talks about in pruning us. Because pruning involves pain. I don't know if bushes and flowers and shrubs feel pain when you prune them, but we do. And we have this mindset that if something is painful, it's automatically bad. I mean, that's human nature. But Jesus is saying, pruning is not punishment. It's one of the ways in which God loves us. Because what is he doing when he prunes us? Another translation of the word prune is cleaning. He's really cleaning us. He is removing the things that are distracting us and getting in the way and are squeezing out of us the lifeblood of the vine. As someone said, the sap that runs through the vine is love. And when we allow things to get in the way, when we allow it stuff that, that it may not be bad, we have just made it more important than Christ, it closes us off from experiencing the love of God. And the whole point of pruning is to get rid of that stuff that is harming us. And, and, and closing off the ability that we might have to experience all that God wants to do in us. But in the midst of that, we see it as pain. And so we tend to fight against it. If you had a chance to walk through the Christian education building this morning and up the hallway by our offices, you will have noticed that they look a little different. They are completely empty. And the reason for that is tomorrow morning we are starting a total remodel of the office space. And um, that means that they're empty, which means that we all are other places. And um, the building is used, almost every space is used on a regular basis. And so we're all finding places to go for the next six or X number of weeks. And we've set Patty, our secretary, up in room 105, and you know she's got that 700-pound copy machine thing that goes, you know, is in there. That the, the people are, thank you so much for everybody who came Friday and Saturday to move stuff, and that's set up there. And Pastor John is set up in the youth room, and Pastor Kevin and Pastor Cindy and I are we're kind of making makeshift offices downstairs here. We're, we feel we all feel a little bit nomadic. I I sort of feel like the recurring scene in the movie Office Space where the guy says, yeah, we're going to need you to to move your desk into the boiler room. (laughs) You know, it is sort of chaotic in the process of these weeks of, you know, being displaced. But it's okay because the end result is going to be awesome. Not only are the offices going to be upgraded, we're going to get, there's going to be a handicapped access bathroom... We're going to take care, deal with the issues of the electrical deficiencies, issues of heating deficiencies, which we have been noticing a lot this this year. Uh, We're going to deal with uh, just a better usage of the space. We're going to deal with the issues of sound and soundproofing the offices better. There are so many good things that are going to come out of this that, you know, a few weeks of hardship, it's okay, it's worth it. And in the process of doing this, as we have been been working on moving out of our offices, it has forced us to evaluate all the stuff that we have. Man, there's a lot of clutter in my office, i got to tell you. And over the course of these last few weeks, we have all generated enormous amounts of paper for recycling. Numerous trips to the recycling station to get rid of this stuff. And I keep asking myself, why did I save that? What did I think I was going to do with that? You know, you know, a feeling of that. And my goal is to get to my new office with no filing cabinets. And I have five of them right now. Actually, I've narrowed it down to four. (laughs) Scanning and digitizing files, and I'm just continuing to work on that. And quite frankly, it's a pain. But I know the end will be good. And as I'm going through these files, I'm just finding all kinds of stuff where I'm thinking... Probably made sense at the time, but right now, I don't know why. And he just, you know, you don't even realize you're doing it, You're that you're accumulating stuff until you step back after almost 19 years and you go, wow, a lot of stuff that I just sort of thought in the moment I needed it and then I forgot about it. And so I am pruning a lot of that clutter. And quite frankly, it feels freeing, even though it's a process going through it. In a far greater way. God is wanting to prune the clutter from our lives. The stuff that we become so used to and feel so secure for us that to think of getting rid of it is frightening. Maybe it's maybe it's possessions, wealth, stuff. Not bad, we have just made it more important than Jesus. We've allowed it to to take over our thinking and, and, and we start making decisions based on how well we can hang on to this stuff instead of how we might give away the things that God's prompting us to give away. Maybe it's something like bitterness or resentment it's hard to let it go because we want to make sure the people who hurt us know that they hurt us. And if we let go of it, then we have to forgive. And we have to try and put it behind us. And we have to set them free. Forgetting that when we set other people free like that, we're really setting ourselves free. That's hard, it's painful. But it's pruning, not punishment, but love. It's the grace of God to to let go of what the writer of Hebrews says, that sin that so easily entangles us and squeezes out the life-giving love and joy of God that he wants for us. It is surrendering our hearts and our lives to him. It's letting go of the things that we hang on to that, again, may not be bad. They're just things that have gotten, become more important than Christ. And if we remain in the vine, if our passion is the love of Christ in us, then we will be prompted about these things and our willingness to let them go and to surrender And what feels like pain, if we'll let him, we'll find is really freedom and joy. And what I've discovered is that remaining in the vine is never just about you and your relationship to Christ or me and my relationship to Christ. It's about us and our corporate relationship with Christ. As evangelicals, that's an odd thing for us to hear. We don't typically talk about a corporate relationship with Christ. It's all personal. And we need the personal decision and personal relationship with Christ. But we are missing something vital when that relationship is not corporate too. Not to push the metaphor too far, but I don't think I've ever seen a vineyard with just one vine. And I don't think I've ever seen grapes grow where it's just one grape. Someone after first service who knows about these things was telling me that they actually have seen times when grapes grow and it's just one grape. And they said, the reason for that is because they're infected with disease. Grapes grow in clusters. And and they squeeze one another, and they push up against one another. And if we're going to be connected to the vine, you can't do it alone, and I can't do it alone. We need each other. We need each other to encourage one another, sometimes to challenge each other, to love each other, to care for each other. We need each other. One of the great... One of the great things to do is read through paul's epistles and see how many times he uses that phrase one another pray for one another care for one another carry one another's burdens bear one another's burdens love each other greet each other over and over and over again one another one another one another because the kingdom is not just about me and jesus it's about us and jesus And if we're going to remain in the vine, we have to understand we're a part of a vineyard. And one of the most devastating things we can do and a sure recipe for disaster is to think we can be a vine all off by ourselves on our own. We can't. We need each other. The church is created so that together we remain in the vine. And together we experience the joy of God through Christ. It's as we are connected to each other that we really begin to experience what Christ intends. And the fullness of his love and his joy as the people of God. I guess what I want to to leave you with this morning is to bring us back to where I started and to think about those words that this gentleman says to the people he encounters. And I want to say to you and and say to myself, whatever you do, don't miss the joy Whatever you do, whatever is happening, whatever the circumstances, don't miss the joy that comes from a life surrendered to our loving, gracious, heavenly Father. Through Jesus Christ, the true vine. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, who is the true vine. Whatever may be causing us to miss experiencing the fullness of your joy, whatever might be choking out your life-giving love, Give us grace and strength to let you have it and to find in your pruning love and grace and mercy. In this moment, we surrender it to you. Christ we pray. Amen.